out there, everyone? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest installment of the Man Cave Huddle. I am your host, Greg, and thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to listen to your boy. And for me, personally, this episode is very special to me, personally, because this is my 100th episode recorded. When I initially started this journey of podcasting, I didn't know where it would take me. I didn't think or would know who or why anyone would want to listen. I wasn't, and my still goal isn't to sit here and say, I want to make millions and millions and millions of dollars doing this. But if it came along, I'm not going to say no. But what I originally said was, I love talking sports. And oftentimes, I find myself in situations where I'm talking sports with people that don't want to talk sports or the sport that I would like to talk about. And having this podcast was a way for me to just express my thoughts. And nobody could tell me, let's talk about something else. Now, moving along into the future, in the near future, I am going to have more and more guests. And I don't want it to just be me that you guys listening to. Because I understand, although you love me, you want to hear other people talk, okay? So, um, getting right, straight right to business. Um, well, before that, I just, I'm thankful. This is a moment for me to say that I'm thankful. And I have this platform of a podcast to just talk Greg and talk the, the nonsense things that I talk. Only because it's my passion and I love sports. So, with no further ado, let's wrap up this Last Dance 10-part documentary that has taken place for the past couple weekends on Entertainment and Sports Network, otherwise known as ESPN, in the TV industry, ESPN. Um, top to bottom, this documentary was fantabulous. From the music, the style, the everything, it brought me back to like the late, 90s, the rap, everything. It was just such a throwback with so many beautiful memories. Um, from the beginning, and I know I've said this in almost every episode, I knew that that last year was the last dance, but I didn't want to believe it because I felt like, how could you split up a team if they win a championship? So in the back of my head, I always had that thought like, they're not going to blow this team up. But in saying that, Watching this documentary, it wasn't even, it almost felt like that was the last thing on their minds. I mean, they had all these other stresses attacking them that year, along with playing the championship. You had injuries, you had things going on with these dudes that normally you sit there and say, all right, if they lose, this is a good reason, or this is a, um, a validation of why they lost. But with the Bulls, you had management, teams, you had turmoil within the team. And let's keep it real. One of the biggest things that I took away from this documentary was the exhaustion that the, the whole entire team felt. I mean, Steve Kerr said that they were spent entering that game six against the Utah Jazz. I mean, you know, you're winning your second three-peat, and you think to yourself, well, you keep winning, you can always do it, but think about it. 
over that period of time, they probably played an additional NBA season just in playoff games. And the exhaustion that these guys had, no breaks, Scotty and Jordan especially, playing on a dream team. I mean, these guys were exhausted, no break. Jordan had a break. And maybe that's why when he came back, he was able to provide a boost for the team. But let's talk about that for a second. Jordan leaving to play baseball, okay, you're going to do your thing. But actually building his body to play baseball and being, and I'm not a aficionado, but his minor league manager did say that he was confident if Jordan would have stuck to it, Jordan could have been a major league, maybe not a good player, maybe an average or bottom ring player, but still could have made the major leagues. And then after he decided to leave baseball and come back to basketball and rebuild his body. I mean, you're talking about teaching your body how to do one thing for what? 21 years, 28 years, however long. And then you all of a sudden teach it how to do something else for a year or two. And then you go back. That must have been even he said it was difficult because it's different muscle groups that you're working in base in baseball. You're not using the same muscle group that you are in basketball. It, it, it It's a granted playing being a professional athlete. There are a lot of things that are the same, but there's still a whole different group of muscles that you have to train and muscle memory, and for him to do that, that must have been one hell of a challenge. And for him to accomplish that, I mean, that's that's more kudos to Jordan. But one thing, you know, that Jordan said towards the end of the documentary, could they have won um, a fourth championship in a row? Seven total, made it a four-peat. Now, if you remember that following year, the Knicks and the Spurs played in the NBA Finals, and it was the lockout shortened season. Could the Bulls, in a lockout shortened season, have played the Spurs and beat the Spurs? Could they have beaten the Knicks? I think that, you know, you listed to um, Jordan and the way it all went down, and we all know management was behind all of this, but management was like, yo, we didn't think that these dudes could do it. And they actually won the chip. I think we should ask these dudes to come back for one more year. And I don't know why that didn't happen. They asked Phil, and Phil was like, nah, I'm good. But you know what? I bet you if they would have really went to Jordan and said, look, everybody come back, one-year deals, What's really good? Jordan said he would have done it. Could you have talked my, Phil Jackson into doing it? I was about to say Michael. You, saw, you heard that, right? <laughs> could they have talked Phil Jackson into doing it? I don't think management could have, but I think Jordan could have. What about all the other players on the team? Would they have come back for one-year deals? Now you're talking about players like role players, like a Steve Kerr, Bill Wennington. Luke Longley, players like that, or Judd Bushler, Dennis Rodman, and others, would they have come back on one-year deals? Why not? Why not? So I've won championships, and I understand dudes want to cash out and get paid. Maybe not everybody would have come back. But in saying that, you're going to not want to come back and just keep the ride going for one more year? 
Why not? Now, the thing is, will Scottie Pippen have come back? That is the real underlying question. Because when you think about him being, I don't want to say disgruntled, but he wanted to get paid. And they paid Jordan. And on the team, there were seasons where here he is, one of the the best player at his position, top 10 in the game, maybe top five in the game. And he's not even top three or four salary. That year, I think that 97, 98 year, he was like kind of on the lower end of the totem pole in salary on the team. So he wanted to get paid. And he had a beef with management. Would he have come back? Now, if you tell me Mike Jordan comes up to you and says, bruh, look, I'm going to come back. They're going to pay me one year. I don't know. Let's just say $30 million, right? That's what he was making towards the end of his career. Let's say, all right, I'm going I'm to situate this where I could make $25 million, you make $20 million. I'll make $30 million, you can make $20, whatever million. But the point is, the next year, Scotty signed, I don't know how many years it was, but it was a $67 million deal with the Houston Rockets. If the if the Bulls would have came to the table with a $20, $20 million deal one year, I think Scotty would have took that and stayed. I mean, I think that what ultimately was the downfall of the team was management and when you're watching this documentary Jordan actually had to hear what the owner had to say because he didn't know why the team ended and broke the way that they did other than what was said and the edict that was put forth before the season even started that's amazing to me because there's a positive and a negative to this. You kind of want to see a dynasty die in a, its own natural death where the players get old, where the players retire, or you just get beat. And that's usually what happens with dynasties. But what Jordan, I think, hasn't, or I'm sure he's thought about it, but his competitiveness won't let him accept the simple fact of the reason that Jordan is revered as being so great is that in this modern era of basketball, Jordan never lost at the highest level. I mean, you talk about all these great players. I mean, he has more chips than Magic and Bird. And when you look at all the other Hall of Fame players that he played with in his career, they don't have as many rings as he does. He never lost when he's in the finals. You're watching the NBA now, and it seems as though everybody's lost in the NBA Finals. They may have multiple chips, but it also means multiple appearances. Now, I know some people sit there and say the era that we live in now is a lot more difficult because the players are a lot more skilled. But let's also keep in mind all the Hall of Famers that Michael Jordan played and beat winning those championships. Gary Payton, Stockton, Malone, Ewing, Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, just to name a few of the players. So 
when we say that that era was less skilled, you can say that, but also in that era, Jordan was beating top 50 players with ease. I shouldn't say with ease because he did take six games to beat them. But I do think that Jordan could have convinced the gang to come back and win one more. I mean, Phil Jackson did come out of retirement and coach the Lakers, right? So it's not like Phil lost the bug to coach. He just didn't want to coach and rebuild. Because if you remember, Phil Jackson did tell management he did not want to rebuild. Now, I want the question I want to know is, why didn't they go to Jordan and say, MJ, come back. Let's do this one more time. That's what I want to know. But I think deep down, everybody would have been convinced and they would have came back to play. One of the, uh, the, the key things that you see in this documentary is really the sacrifice. Of, like Michael Jordan said, the price of success. Because... When you see him interact with the other players, it felt like he was this mystical, godly figure with Scotty Pippen. He looked like the dude that was going out with all the fellas. Like, they would be in town, and Jordan would probably stay in his hotel room the whole night where Pippen and the rest of the boys, they was going out there having a grand old time. And maybe that's the price of success. Where maybe the CEO, maybe the boss, maybe the owner, he's the one that doesn't have the opportunity to enjoy the fruits of his labor. But his children get to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Maybe some of the lower level employees get to enjoy the fruits of that labor. But maybe the price of certain level of success is you sacrifice certain freedoms. And those freedoms are probably Michael Jordan was thinking, I'm cool with that. Because if this means I'm going to be the best basketball player on the planet, I'm with it. And another thing that I liked about this documentary was Michael Jordan, Derek Jeter, a lot of these guys, when they give you answers, they don't really give you answers that you feel as though, all right, this dude really gave me his heartfelt opinion. They give you those, both teams play hard. We just wanted to make a good game of it. I don't really have a, it's not about what the other team is doing to us. It's about what we're doing to ourselves. Um, you know, we get, we came out, we didn't play well today. All we can do is just control our effort and our attitude, and we're going to come out tomorrow with our A game. Those generic type answers. But in this documentary, it felt as though Jordan was really giving heartfelt, real answers. Like when Jordan was talking about winning, about people criticizing his total his leadership like he was a dictator and if you notice what he said is people that said that probably never won anything and if he needed to drag ass or push you to places that you didn't want to be pushed he would do that so that he could win the championship because to him that's what it was all about he was there when he was getting roughed up by the celtics and by the pistons and by the knicks so that by the time when he was ready to win a title, they were going to be a blueprint of who Jordan was. You weren't playing Michael Jordan. You were playing five Michael Jordans. That mentality, that passion. And when he sat there and said, if you don't want to play like that, that's fine. But you're just not going to play with him. That, I, that kind of resonated with me. Because it let me know that it was like, you know what? 
I don't need you to like me. I just need you to help me win. And if I think you can help me win, let's go. And that's important because I like guys like that. Because at least you know where you stand. It's not a, uh, I don't know. I, nah, man. Look, no joking around, no playing around, no nothing. This is all about winning. And that's it. And the last thing that I'll say that I loved about Jordan in this documentary is how he took any and everything as a slight, an insult, a dart being thrown as motivation for him to get at his opponent. Remember that part when they were talking about that player on the Washington Bullets? Scored 30, uh, Mr. Smith scored 37 points on Jordan. And Jordan made up a story and said that this player said to him after the game, nice game, Michael, and had to come back and clap back. But Michael did say he learned a lesson in that game that you can't take anybody for granted and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're in the NBA, anybody could go off. George Call, fellow North Carolinian, walked by him and didn't say hello. And he took that as a slight. I wouldn't have took that as a slight. Come on, Jordan. I mean, he's the head coach of a team. He needs to show solidarity, unity, loyalty to his team. He can't be yucking it up with you. So he had to kind of give you the cold shoulder. But he took that as a reason to sit there and, and want to get at somebody. And there was only one problem that I had in this documentary. And it wasn't with anything production-wise. It was with one of Jordan's responses. When they were at their peak, he felt that the teams that were in the East that provided the biggest threat to him were the Indiana Pacers. I don't think it was just the Pacers. I think it was the Pacers and the Knicks. Being a diehard Bulls fan, I was very fearful of the Pacers because what made Reggie Miller great was he wasn't scared. He would lose, but you know, he's the type of dude where he'd be the skinniest dude, but he would be ready to fight. Don't care if he get his butt kicked, but that's the type of heart that he had. Reggie Miller had that heart where he wasn't scared of Jordan. Jordan was better, but he was still going to give Jordan 110%. And they had that squad. Jalen Rose, Mark Jackson, the Davis brothers, Rick Smiths, McKee. These guys were loaded, man. They weren't scared. But then there were the Knicks too, man. I mean, the Knicks, it almost it always felt like it was never easy playing the Knicks. It felt like playing the Knicks was like, playing your cousin or something where you know and they know exactly what you want to do. It's just all about beating them to the punch. That's the only other slight. I mean, I felt like he said the Pacers and it was almost like a dig at the Knicks where it was like, nah, we ain't have no problem with the Knicks. Kind of like when Jordan said the glove. I had no problem with the glove. You can't really say nothing to Jordan, but come on, bro. He was deep at the play of the year when you guys played in the NBA Finals. But you can't doubt the man because he got busy on him. But the last chant, the last dance was a wonderful documentary. I can't wait for it to come out on DVD. I'm going to cop that. It was so entertaining. It was history in the flesh.
But as I wrap up this episode and I do it every episode, I want to leave you guys with a positive quote. And my positive quote in this episode is, people leave you out in the cold and get mad when you learn how to get warm by yourself. People leave you out in the cold and get mad when you learn how to get warm by yourself. Thank you for listening. Stay warm, everybody. Bye-bye.